From the Theodore Roosevelt Medora Foundation, this is the Wisdom Chain Podcast. I'm Tim Olson. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode three of the Wisdom Chain Podcast. My advice would be to make sure you don't miss the first two episodes. Make sure you go back and download them. You'll hear great speeches from former North Dakota Governor Ed Schaefer, TRMF President Randy Hudson Bueller, and you'll get a sense for the Wisdom Chain philosophy from the founder of the idea, Dick Anderson. Now, on to the third presentation from Wisdom Chain Day 2021 from Laurel Nelson. Laurel is a tremendously successful businesswoman from North Dakota, and she's a member of the TRMF Board of Directors. She has bought or started businesses ranging from aerial crop spraying to car dealerships, and she ranches in South Dakota. That makes her perfectly suited to discuss the Code of the West. By the way, one quick note, Laurel will reference and show a couple videos in her presentation. I've put YouTube links in the show notes, so you can find those videos and watch them just as if you were there in Medora that day for her speech. So, without further ado, here's Laurel Nelson. Hello, and thank you so much for coming today. It is such an honor, and gosh, what a tough thing to follow the governor of North Dakota and the (laughs) secretary of agriculture and Randy, and not to mention the president, Teddy himself. So, anyway, thank you so much. I am honored to share this time with you. Honored to be on a panel like this, and um, this is the kind of people, everyone in this room, you're the kind of people I'd like to sit around a campfire with, and I'd like to hear your stories and ask you questions and laugh, and it would be just great. Um, And I want to welcome especially, I have a crew of people here from our dealership in uh, Minnesota, Brent flew them in today to surprise me. And so I can tell you, I've been working with some of them for 29 years, so I can't embellish a thing. One of them already, one of them already said, if you say anything, I'm going to stand up and say, no. <laughs> right. So we're going to be very honest today. Um, Randy asked me to speak on the code of the West and how it relates to running businesses. And Brent and I have been starting and running and buying businesses for over four decades here, mostly North Dakota, South Dakota. And we have also raised cattle in the southern side of the Black Hills for 20 years. And we have competed with performance quarter horses. I competed for about 15 years across the country and into Canada. So I do feel like I kind of understand this code of the West. And um, I can say most of the things, you know, we, we learn a lot from doing a few things right. We learn a lot from making some mistakes and then try not to repeat those mistakes. So currently, I do general manage the car dealership in Minnesota, and there we have about 100 employees, um, 75 full-time and about 25 in that store. The stores in western North Dakota are sons run and manage, and uh, I've got, there's about eight of the managers here from Minnesota, so I'm hoping someone's running that store today back there. But uh, Okay, so today I'm going to share with you the code of the West. Now, what is that? Well, you see, we all live and work by some kind of code, some type of principle or framework that determines how we make decisions and how we make plans. 
Now, sometimes we aren't able to fully articulate what that is. You know, maybe it even feels a little mushy sometimes, but we know that we're making decisions based on something. The Code of the West, the Code of the West is a framework or a creed that is a set of principles that have long been in place. They're kind of been an informal governance in the American West. It was a guide for behavior before civilized society came with law and order. Certain behaviors had to be expected of one another if you were going to survive in a very rugged environment. It was wild. You had to depend on one another and that we'd behave in a certain way. Now, this was put down into an actual 10 principles in about 2004 by a man named James Owens. Now, for 34 years, he'd worked on Wall Street. And he got very disillusioned, particularly in the wake of the Enron incident. Now, if some of you are here are pretty young, and you probably don't even remember what the Enron incident was, but it was a financial debacle of a multifaceted Wall Street company, and it had been lauded by Fortune 500 magazine for six years in a row, mind you, as the most innovative company in America. Okay? That was just before its stock tumbled from $90 a share to $0.26 cents a share. And with it, it took out $94 billion of money that its stockholders and its employees had. And it also took out Arthur Anderson, if you remember, one of the top five accounting firms in America. And it, they'd all long been thought of as being very trustworthy and whatever. But their complicity in the crimes took out Arthur Anderson as well. Now, it was a shame on the sector of business at the time, but probably still pales in comparison to what happened in 2007 to 2009, which most of us do remember, painfully remember, actually, as we had a couple of our car franchises, the factories declaring bankruptcy and such. But, but it caused that financial collapse and that great recession that caused untold suffering. Prime sub, subprime lending, mortgage-based securities, creditive derivatives, poor government policies, predatory lending, fraudulent underwriting practices. You know, the reasons and the blame could go on and on. And there were supposed to be a lot of smart people and really smart institutions that were running all this and keeping an eye on it. But somehow, either through incremental little changes all the time or turning a blind eye, the financial collapse happened and it all tumbled. Now, Mr. Owens, James Owens, back in 2004, went back to say, what went wrong? You know, how and when did we get this far off track? What was our country's heritage? What guided us in the past? And he went back to the West, the American West, and he went to the iconic figure of the cowboy. What did cowboys know and do that allowed them to survive and progress? in some of the harshest and most rugged environments of the history's time. And thus came the Code of the West. Okay? These are 10 simple principles. They're articulated clearly, and they can give us direction today. They're timeless in how we should live, how we should make decisions, and how we should behave. Now, the good part about this speech is I'm going to show you two video clips. Okay? This first one's about four minutes long. And I want you to get into the world of the cowboy, okay? This is, I want you to feel the natural rhythms of the environment, and you're going to see and feel the power of the animals, and you're going to see the heartfelt love of the cowboy. And I use the cowboy interchangeably with rancher, okay? 
for all that the West encompasses. And then we're going to review the 10 principles of the Code of the West and conclude with a final short video that gives us a visual aid of the code. So on your tables right now, you'll find a little business card with the Code of the West on it. And maybe you'll want to put it in your wallet and keep it for later. And I want you to understand that the Code of the West, as you're going to see this now, this is not about rules. Okay, Rules could be 50 pages long or 1,500 pages long. And you know what happens when you have rules? People start thinking about how do you get around those rules, right? Yeah, we've done that. But principles are not rules. Principles are what you put in your heart, you put them in your mind, you put them in your conscience, and then you try to live up to the principles instead of get around the principles. So we're going to watch this four-minute video, and I hope you just feel like you're a little bit of a cowboy, okay? The cowboy is the image of freedom, the hard-riding boss of the range. His trade is a fair one, he fights for what's right, and his ethics aren't subject to change. He still tips his hat to the ladies and lets you water first at the pond. He believes a day's pay is worth a day's work, and his handshake and word are his bond. Cowboy way is a real thing. There is a code of the West. It's not just a punchline. It's not just a joke. It's not just some goofy, funny line. It's a real thing. A rancher's values probably, first of all, would be honesty. And it's pretty tough to find a really crooked rancher. Pride and honor and honesty are about the only values a cowboy really has. I really like things uh, simple. That's the way I've always lived since I was a kid. I live out in the woods in my tent instead of up at the house. Had my Coleman lanterns and cook on the campfire and I've never really liked the modern way of living. Cowboy usually has an opinion on about everything because you have a lot of time to think. When you cowboy for a living, you basically have your word and your ability. So a man's word is very important to him. If, uh, if your word's no good, then you're no good. If you work with livestock, you get hurt all the time. I mean, you get run over, 
and bit and stomped and stepped on and gored and humiliated in the most awful fashion. And the only thing you can do is laugh about it. And stepped on, kicked, had stitches, cut my finger off. Go get a few stitches or a cast and come back to work. I'm 39 years old and uh, I wear knee braces. I got steel pins in me and I've had broken backs and punctured lungs. And most of mine came from rodeo. It's very hard for me to sit here and tell you that the cowboy way of life as we know it will still be existent 20 years from now. We see more and more uh, governmental pressures. We see more and more environmental pressures. The import business into our country is becoming more and more drastic. We're starting to import more and more beef. A lot of these ranches now, financially, they don't have the crews they used to. And some of these ranches are expecting a man to do more than was traditionally done by cowboys. There'll be some cowboys around for a long time, but it's going to be harder and harder to find an outfit where you can just cowboy. The cowboys were sitting round the campfire, all tired from a long, long day. As they rolled their smokes and told some jokes to pass the time away. Isn't that something? I think it's such an honor that I've actually gotten to experience that. If you have never experienced that, Oh, try to come out to Western North Dakota or South Dakota. Come on out here and feel what that feels like. So, um, yeah, it's, it's something. And I love the fact that Governor Schaefer, he's talking about the U.S. Department of Agriculture up here in Washington, D.C., but agriculture is happening right out here in North Dakota, in your backyard. That's agriculture. Um, so let's look at these 10 steps, and Tim, if you can put them up. Yeah, we're going to just briefly go over them. The first one is live each day with courage, okay? Now, courage is the mental and moral strength to venture, to persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. It means to act bravely. It means we must be willing to leave our comfort zone, okay? Whatever comfort zone means to you. Life provides us the opportunity to live on the edge, okay? Which is, here's the edge, 
Okay, put your hand up like this. Okay, put your hand up in front of your nose. On the left side of your hand is comfort, security, safety, guarantee. And on the right side is wilderness, a little bit of wildness, a little bit of venture. Here's life. Life is happening over here. Now, the question I'd ask you is, where do you live in relation to that edge? Okay? In the last year, there was probably one phrase that was said more often than anything. What do you think it was? Be safe, right? Be safe, okay. It was the most heard, and notwithstanding some level of common sense, of course, the phrase does encourage us to retreat, to hide, be careful, be very careful, yeah. But I want you to just think for a second. I want you to tell, tell you about my great-grandparents. They came from Norway, okay? And they had nothing but their skills, their big desire, and a big work ethic. And they faced dangers, death, and illness. And they couldn't even speak the language. And when they came, they came in an ox cart. They dug a dugout into a creek bank in North Dakota. And that winter, they buried, well, they couldn't bury their first child who died because the ground was frozen. So they had to wait till the spring. But they lived with courage, no guarantees. They grabbed life. Now, I'm going to ask you, where is the edge for you? And because life, real living, and real moments that are worth it make you feel alive, they're on the wilderness side of it. They're on the adventure. Retreating from the line, living in fear is a terrible price to pay. You know, this is one thing I think we've lost sight of this year is we thought we could be afraid and it wouldn't really matter. But we do understand neurophysiology now. Fear isn't just an amorphous feeling. It actually changes your brain chemistry. You, ex you let yourself be afraid so long and you'll be a different person. So fear is, fear is a powerful thing and you have to treat it carefully. So I want to tell you about, though, in terms of business, who some really brave people are. And they're the small business owners that are up and down the streets of every little town and big town in America, right here in Medora. They're some very brave business owners. And why? Because what's unique about the small business owner is they have to go buy their inventory, rent the building, build the building, whatever that may be, and they have to either use their savings or they have to go to the bank. And bless the bankers' hearts, and I know we've got some bankers here today. And, and, uh, but one thing I do know is that, like for instance, if things go south with a pandemic or the econ economy kind of tanks, you know what? The people that just work there, they can pack up, go on to the next opportunity. But the small business owner can't. You now still owe the bank. And as wonderful as the bankers are, they still want to get paid. <laughs> they want the note paid off, as rightly they should, because they're borrowing out other people's money. But that small business owner is taking a huge risk. And that's why whenever you can, man, go patronize them. Go buy something from them. They're laying it out there. So um, owning your own business, it may not appeal to you, but whatever your wildness is, find it. Find the line or at least flirt with the line. Flirt a little bit with that line. You know? <laughs> Step into some level of discomfort. Be, do something that's not guaranteed. And do some small thing that scares you. And will you feel afraid? You surely will. But it doesn't matter, just do it. Do it afraid. So ride the bronc, ride the bull, saddle up, swing your leg over, take a chance, okay? Second one, take pride in your work. 
Cowboys generally work for themselves. Um, well, it's, it's for themselves with, with, they're by themselves with their dog, their horse, their ATV, or their Ford truck, or their Ram truck. <laughs> too, too bad about the Chevys. <laughs> I don't sell Chevys. <laughs> well, I've sold a lot of used Chevys, anyway. But, um, no, Chevys are fine trucks, too. But anyway, uh, but here's the deal. When you work by yourself, you have to judge yourself, okay? And maybe we work around a lot of other people, but a lot of times you're working where people don't see everything you're doing, okay? Sad to say, now we have cameras everywhere, and I'm, I'm sad to say we do, too. But you have to know that you have to evaluate your own work. Am I proud of it? You take pride in it. It doesn't mean someone's always got to pat you on the back or tell you did a great job. And certainly, you don't need a participation trophy. They mean nothing. A participation trophy means nothing. Um, let's look in the mirror every night and honestly ask yourself, am I proud of what I did today? Third, always finish what you start. Cowboys have always hated quitters. They despised whiners and complainers because usually whining and complaining is the precursor to quitting. Um, be, be a second halfer. This is the one who brings as much zeal and enthusiasm to the second half of the Medora season as they did to the first half of the Medora season. And any of you guys over 60 in this room, and there's a few of us, you know, people are always asking, what are you going to do when you retire? How when are you going to retire? And I'm like, I don't know. I want to be a second halfer. I want to finish this thing well. Um, so be that. And will this be hard? Absolutely. Sure will. In the words of Winston Churchill, if you're going through hell, keep on going. <laughs> now, you all the younger guys are thinking of that country western song, aren't you? If you're going through hell, keep on going. Don't stop now. Yeah. Uh, finish what you start. Fourth, do what has to be done. To the cowboy, it was a matter of honor to do the right thing, even, and it's especially when the odds are all stacked against you. Okay? In the 2003 box office success, Open Range, if you remember that movie, there's two Open Range cowboys. There's Boss Spearman, who's Robert Duvall, and Charlie Waite, who's Kevin Costner. And they run into this really formidable enemy named Baxter. Now, Baxter, he's a bullying rancher who thinks he owns the town and he considers the range all his, and he absolutely hates free grazers, which he would consider Charlie and uh, Boss free grazers. Baxter roughs up and he kills one of Charlie and Boss's men, and he even shoots their dog. I mean, really? Go. Now, there's no doubt about what has to be done. Everybody knows the townspeople know what has to be done. The townspeople want it done, but they want it done by somebody else. They want the benefit without paying the price. One of the townspeople says to him, I didn't raise my boys to see them killed. And Charlie tells him, well, you may not know it, but there's things that gnaw at a man worse than dying. So it's eight of Baxter's men against Charlie and Boss, okay? Charlie's got it all planned out, except he says, I got everything except the part about where we don't get killed. <laughs> so Charlie asks Boss, he says, do you reckon them cows are worth getting killed over? Boss answers, the cows is one thing, but it, one man telling another where he can go in this country is something else. Or maybe one man telling another man what he can say in this country 
is another thing. Or one man telling another man in this country what he can think is another thing. So Boss and Charlie, they could have rounded up their cattle and left the trouble behind, but they didn't. And they did what had to be done. Now, you'll have to download the movie if you want to see how this fight turns out. So if you haven't seen Oprah Rage. So it's not always easy to do the right thing. And there's plenty of people who want someone else to do the heavy lifting. Um, and the people that end up with the heavy load, you know what we call them? Heroes. Heroes. They're, we don't call them celebrities. We don't call them rich. We don't call them famous. We don't call them influencers. We don't call them all-stars. We call them heroes. While we may not be total heroes, we can, when the time comes or the opportunity is before us, do something heroic. Speak up. Stand up. Pay up. Put up. Be some kind of hero. Okay, five, be tough but fair. The Code of the West require, requires that toughness alone is not honorable, okay? It's toughness tempered by fairness, okay? This tension has always been a little difficult for me because I kind of grew up to be a people pleaser. And what Tim didn't tell you, in my previous life, I actually have uh, my degrees are all in nursing. And for 14 years, I was an ICU, CCU nurse, and a nurse educator. So naturally, I mean, we just love to make people happy, don't we? Yeah. And um, I just have a bent for mercy because, frankly, if we only went for justice, who of us could stand, you know? But I have hired and managed people now for over 40 years, and I can tell you there's a deep honor and there's a deep respect for being tough but fair. And here's a question I ask during an interview sometimes. Like sometimes you're interviewing someone, you've got some intense questions about their past and how they'd handle this scenario. And then I say to them this. I say, okay, if, you, if I was going to ask, what kind of dog are you? What would you say you are? And of course, that gets them kind of like, well, nobody's ever asked me that question before. So I ask them that, and now I'm going to ask you that. If you had to describe yourself as some kind of a dog, what breed or kind of dog would you be? I'm going to give you 10 seconds to think about it, and then for 20 seconds, tell your neighbor what it is, okay? Go. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I think you are, Tim. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yep. All right. All right. I think you guys are having too much fun out there. <laughs> I would love to hear what everybody had to say, what kind of dog they are. Hello. <laughs> Come on back. That was too much fun. Wouldn't, I'd love to hear what kind of dog you are. And I want to tell you right now, I would be a pit bull dis disguised like a golden retriever. <laughs> because, you know, and I've worked with men, and you can tell the kinds of, of businesses we've owned. I've worked with a lot of men, and you know, I found it's kind of interesting because they kind of mistake, like, I don't really holler at people I don't. I'm just not a swearing person. And they kind of mistake me. They think I'm just like a golden retriever. And it takes them a while to understand. And I think probably my crew here would agree with me. Like, hey, 
I'm a pit bull man, you know. <laughs> so I want you to pay attention. I mean it, you know. We're going to do it like this, okay? But you know what I really want to be? A border collie. And this is kind of a little crazy because it tells you how earthy I am because, I mean, we've just had Harold Schaefer and we've had Teddy Roosevelt and all these things. But I want to tell you, I think it's good to aspire to be a border collie. And if you didn't know it, there were two border collies in the video we watched before. And I want to tell you why. Because a border collie is so strong. They're so instinctual. They're super smart. They're energetic. They're athletic. And you know what? They love to go to work. They love it. On a ranch, a border collie lives for jumping on the back of an ATV or trailing the horse up the mountain. And the moment they hear that four-wheeler start on the ranch, they beeline it for the back of that ATV, jump on the back, and they are going. And then when they get up by the cows, they're like this. They're stealthy. They're like, where, where should I go? Where are we heading here? They're, they're herding them, and they're herding them. But you know what? They're always listening to the cowboy. When that cowboy whistles or he says, get up, lay down, that's enough, that's enough, they do it, they obey, they listen, they pay attention, they obey. I really want to be a border collie. <laughs> Sorry. But be tough but fair. Teddy Roosevelt called it the square deal. He gave people a square deal and depended on others to react in the same way. The golden rule, as you've heard about before, it is not really a Sunday school admonition in the Old West. It was the way people survived. If someone was killed in a fair fight, it wasn't murder. You didn't shoot an unarmed man. You didn't shoot a man in the back. You never stole a horse. You just did not. Six, when you make a promise, keep it. A cowboy had two things, his word and his skills. Now here's, this is a, such a good demonstration. You saw Lonesome Dove, didn't you? Okay, younger people, have you seen Lonesome Dove? Oh, my word. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as the saga of the two Texas Rangers comes to a close, Gus is dying, and he asks his partner, Woodrow, to bury him back in Texas. They just completed this arduous trek from Texas to Montana with a whole herd of cattle, and the thought of going back to Texas was like unbelievably tough, crazy. Woodrow says to Gus, well, you're never going to know if I took you back there or not. And Gus, but then he finally says, I reckon I'll do it since you asked. Everyone tells Woodrow he's crazy. Pull him out of his mind to do this. Woodrow agrees to this foolishness, but he says, a promise is a promise. The 3,000-mile journey back to Texas is terrible. It's filled with calamity. It's filled with catastrophe. He finally is in Texas, digs the grave for Gus. I mean, Gus, I think, has fallen out of the wooden casket by then. I mean, it's just, it's just a disaster. And you know what Woodrow says? There. This will teach me to be more careful what I promise. <laughs> well, the transactions of business often require um, things to be called transactions. And I, sometimes I wonder if we call them transactions because it makes them sound more contractual. Like, if we just follow the language of the contract, that's all expected of us. But what... I mean, think how much money we've spent on legal interpretations of contract language. But what if a transaction was considered a promise? Then the spirit of the agreement would mean as much as the language of the agreement. Not just an obligation on the business owner's side, but an obligation on the customer's side as well. What if we kept our promises? Seven, ride for the brand. In North Dakota and South Dakota, there's brand laws. 
And that means that brand is required on any cattle that are crossing state lines, or if you're going to sell your cattle at an auction, or if you're going to sell them private treaty, you have to have a brand inspector come. And your brand is registered by the state, and it has to be on a rib, a shoulder, or a hip. And it's got to be unique to your owner or your ranch, okay? And when um, you're going to sell, you have to get a brand inspector who's certified, and he has to come in for a buck or a buck and a half a cow. He checks to see that everything that you're going to sell or move is actually yours, okay? So, and when your cattle are out to pasture in the summer, you know, they get mixed up with the neighbors. And at the roundup time, you give them back, and you get some of yours back, and, and so it is. But a brand tells you where a cow belongs. It's where home is for that cow. And in much the same way, a brand of a business or an organization tells you where you belong. A cowboy knew that where he threw his bedroll and got his pay was where his loyalties lay. You carry the brand of the outfit. But this was not blind, unquestioning loyalty. If you don't like the way things are run, don't stay on just for the pay. Teddy Roosevelt said, cowboys call no man master. Now, there's, today there's scams galore, there's spam leads, there's spam calls, there's advertising promises that far exceed the product, and enough fine print you could choke a horse. But consider who you have thrown in with. And if you can't ride for the brand, then unbrand yourself. Leave the outfit. Riding for the brand is not just in the big obvious ways, it's also in the small ways, including speaking well of your team, speaking well of your organization. Stop the gossip, stop the complaining about the job or the boss, ride for the brand, or move on to where you can. Talk less, say more. This is really hard on a speaker, isn't it? <laughs> talk less, say more. Well, here, I'll tell you this. Real cowboys don't talk much, especially if there's an outsider in the mix. Maybe it's like if you've been alone with your horse, dog, cow, or truck, it keeps the small talk down. And I mean, it's good chit-chat for all of us. I love being in our showrooms. I love it. Pretend like you're all in the showroom and you're here to buy a Ford truck today. And it's just fun. Get your checkbook up. Um, I could sell you something. <laughs> but anyway, it's fun to chit-chat about stuff too. But I'll tell you one thing. Today, there's way too much talking. Way, way, way too much talking. You know, everywhere you turn, there's talking. There's hundreds of TV channels, nothing to watch. You know, movies with titles like, and you look at them, you're like, who pays to make stuff like that? Just crazy. Unending radio stations. I mean, you can't even fill your gas tank up. They're advertising you at the gas pump. And then there's the unending social media. Oh, my word. Who, you know, I just, I, I just don't quite get it. Like, I mean, why? They're throwing slurs and name-calling. Social media, it just makes no sense to me. Why do you want to listen and read a lot of stupid opinions? I mean, people that don't even know half the time what they're talking about, they're throwing something out there. So how about if we really stopped talking so much and maybe we'd have more time to listen, maybe even ask an intelligent question. What if we spoke about things we actually knew about or studied or actually researched a little bit? That's when saying more could make a difference. Clear, concise knowledge and communication, though, is important. And sometimes, I, you know, I work with so many men, I'm like, you could talk a little more. <laughs> you guys should say a little more. <laughs> Because this is, this is pretty typical. The first years we ran the cattle ranch, you'd be riding with a cowboy, and he'd say, okay, head over to the gate on that west side, just beyond the watershed, and move those cows up the draw. And I'm like, I don't get that at all. What are you talking about? And so then I'd like, I did, wait, no, I just want to clarify that a little bit. Now, where am I supposed to go? And it didn't take long to figure out, 
that's really irritating to those people. Don't do that. Now you're really outside the group. And so now I just like, okay, I'm heading west. I'll probably find some watershed. And there's likely some cows mooing over there somewhere. <laughs> I'm moving them that way. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to give you, here's some good, if you don't know cowboy lingo, here's some cowboy lingo. And you can say this, like, there's a couple cowboys I know in the room. I see some wranglers and some caps here. You say this to them and they'll know what you mean. He's a hand. That means he actually knows how to run a ranch, how to ride a horse, maybe throw a horse, or how to run cattle. Okay, he's got a lot of try. Now, this is try as a noun, not as a verb, okay? Try is like 100% effort. He hangs his guts on the fence, you know. Um, there's another word, we call it grit. A lot of grit, you know? That, think about grit in sandpaper. And think about, are you like this really fine sandpaper that can't rub anything rough? Or do you got some grit in you that can deal with some trouble? Or it got kind of Western. <laughs> this is what this means. I'll give you an example. Throw about five or six saddled horses in a stock trailer, drive 40 minutes to some who knows where pasture, dump them out the back end of the trailer, get on them. And you know, it's a half rodeo out there in the pasture. And nobody says anything. Everybody finally trots their horse off. Later, someone say, well, we got a little Western out there. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> but and it's sometimes the language is coarse and it's full of profanity. It's, it's not like the urban rap kind of Profanity is more like barn, barn profanity. <laughs> but, and a lot happens, and things go wrong with cattle. Trust me, and I'm not even a swearing woman, but those critters make you just, mm. So talk less, say more, keep it simple, keep it true. Nine, remember that some things aren't for sale. To a cowboy or rancher, the best things in life don't have a dollar tag on them. And you don't ranch because you think you're going to get rich with cows, I promise you. Maybe if you have oil or some expensive hunting location, you got a shot. But um, not with cows. And you don't raise cows for the money. You just don't. If you think beef is expensive at the restaurant or the, or the um, grocery store, it's not because the rancher got the money. Something happened in between there. But um, the margin in cattle production is very thin. And sometimes I don't know why I like cows. Or give me a little extra money and I want to buy more cows. I don't know why. But when you see black cows or beautiful Herefords quietly grazing on a green pasture, or you see new calves with that bouncy run they do, you know, like that, or maybe you hear a mama cow calling for a calf, or you swing into the saddle on an early morning and watch the sunrise, you see a hawk on the sore, you hear the sound of a horse's shoes cracking on the rocks as you trot off or watch the snow settle on the back of black cows, or you see a set of beautiful black calves run through the sail ring. I mean, how, how do you put a price on that? It's a good question to ask yourself, what is not for sale for me? What does not have a price? And finally, know where to draw the line. And now here's the big one. This is the big one, okay? What is the line? It's the line that separates between right and wrong, truth and lies, good and bad. And there is a line. Yes, there is a line. The question is, where do you draw it? In order to know where to draw the line, you have to know where the truth lies, where right and wrong lie, where good and bad lie. <clears throat> and here the code of the West is truly timeless. It is fashionable right now to say there's no truth, it's only one's interpretation. But there is truth. There is right. There is good. Popular opinion does not make truth. Social influencers do not make truth. Celebrities don't make truth. 
Highly educated people don't make truth. Policy does not make truth. Repeating an untruth over and over does not make it true. It would behoove each of us to make our continual lifelong goal to seek truth, to invest our time and energy to find truth, and when we seek it with all our heart, we will find it. And then draw the line based on that truth. Real right, real good. And we're going to look at a final two, about minute and 50 second video here of, that visualizes the code of the West. This is between honest ranchers on the ranch and rodeo cowboys. And then we'll just have two sentences and be done. So. Live each day with courage. Take pride in your work. Always finish what you start. Know where to draw the line. When you make a promise, keep it. Do what has to be done. Be tough, but be fair. Well, these are the principles of the Code of the West. Now, you may never be called upon to rope a steer, to ride a bronc, fix a fence, doctor a cow, brand a calf, or gather a herd. But that does not mean you are not a cowboy and that the Code of the West doesn't apply to you. In your life, every day you're called the cowboy up. Take a stand. Finish what you start. Live with courage. Ride for the brand. Know where to draw the line. You are called to be a cowboy. You are meant to be a cowboy. Long live cowboys. <laughs>